0: Well, we often do this, but I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. It's about three-fourths of the way back, maybe even a little further back. And uh, it's on page 814. If you're using one of the black Bibles that's there in the seat rack, hopefully nearby, it should say NIV on the end, pull it out, page 814, and you'll be right there. And while you're turning there, we have been in this series called In Christ, where we're trying to, to learn how to be convinced of who we are in Christ if we're Christians. If you're not a Christian yet, this is something to consider as you're thinking about what you're going to do with Jesus. Uh, but we're studying the first three chapters this spring, and then next fall, we'll study the last three chapters, chapters four through six. Now, where we got the name of this series, uh, it comes from the whole idea that in Ephesians 1, uh, is just one of the places, you'll see this phrase a number of times. In Christ, in him, in the one he loves, in, 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 in. And the idea is that what God wants to do in every person's life is to put them in Christ. Not just Christ in them, but them in Christ. Just kind of like if I took the message notes here and put them in my Bible and then closed it. Wherever the Bible goes, the message notes go. And what he wants to do is he wants to create this kind of relationship in Christ where God can do all kinds of new things in our life and give us a new identity. So we've been learning about that and we're gonna look at that. Now, before we actually look at these four verses, I wanna just make a couple observations that might help. And I was trying to think how I could set it up. Cause you know, I've had a chance to look at it all week and some of you, it's just hitting you for the first time. Maybe you've never read these verses before, but here's just a way of thinking about it big picture, okay, uh, an overview. When I was in college, Uh, I went to a school about 40 miles northwest of Chicago. And uh, one of the uh, things uh, about that is that it it made it possible to go into Chicago for field trips. So in our humanities class, uh, they decided that we all needed to see the Art Institute of Chicago. Now, I'm not a very talented art guy, but I try. And I mean, I try to hang in there and appreciate art more than some of my friends that naturally do. But I, 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 I thought, well, okay, so here we go. This is gonna be a stretch for me. So we get to the Art Institute, and they take us to this great big room where there is mainly this one picture that is 10 feet wide in it. I remember it was just a huge picture. And uh, it was done by a guy by the name of Georges Chirat, who um, he actually painted this. It was called a Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte, okay? And I, I, I had to look this up this week. This isn't from memory. And so we get in there, and in fact, here's the picture. Maybe you've seen it before. And I, I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's pretty good. You know, it looks like a good, in fact, some of you are thinking, I wish I was doing that right now, actually. Uh, but Sunday afternoon there, and uh, so this French painter painted this, and I, again, this is just my immaturity. I remember thinking to myself, I'm good. <laughs> you know, next room. And, uh, but our professor was wise enough to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't move too quickly look, do a close-up, look closer. Now, I don't know if you know much about this post-impressionist period, but if you look, here's some close-ups. And as you got closer, you started realizing that the way this guy had painted, it took him two years to paint this, is he, he did all these kind of little dots of color right next to each other, these tiny little flecks. And so if you're up real close, you see the dots, but if you stand back, you see the bigger picture, It's magnificent and it gave me a tremendous appreciation for what this guy had accomplished. Now, I tell you all that because this passage we're gonna look at does something similar. If you're following along in the notes, God shows the close-up and big picture of our new identity. God shows the close-up and the big picture of our new identity. We live in a culture that urges us to think about ourselves all the time, to be obsessed with ourselves. And it's very tempting to do it. You know, 15 minutes of fame, hey, look at my Twitter, you know, feed, look at my, you know, all this. And we become caught up with ourselves. And it's not that we don't matter. It's just that if we only think of those little dots of our lives, we miss the big picture. And if we miss the big picture, then we won't even understand how we fit into all that as well. So the Lord's going to show us in this not only what he's doing in our individual lives, but what he wants us to be a part of as well second thing I hope you'll see as we look at this passage is this, that Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. By the way, I, I, I mentioned this before, but 3 through 14, I told you in the original language that was written, in the Greek language, it's all one sentence. I shared a few weeks ago that I was never allowed to write run-on sentences when I was in English class, but this guy writes a run-on sentence. And I mean, it's just, it's, the grammar's not necessarily impressive, but what's happening? The Apostle Paul is caught up. As he's trying to describe, do you have any idea what God has done for you in Christ? What he's done in Christ for you. And so he goes on it, and there's lots of these things. And in all these verses, it's just one sentence in the original language. Amazing. Well, in this one long sentence, we've been seeing how Paul shows us that God is our Father. I mean, last week, wasn't that cool when Steve talked about that? We have not only been chosen, but we've been adopted, He's become our Father. A good father, even if you had a terrible earthly father, you can know the goodness of your heavenly father. And so he's adopted us. This week we're going to talk about how he's redeemed us. And what we're going to see is that he's not only God as our Father, but if you're following along in the notes, Ephesians 1 3 through 14 teaches God is both our Father and King. Our Father and King. This isn't a totally foreign idea that I'm giving to you. Jesus, when his disciples came to him and says, Like, how should we pray? Well, what should we do? He said, well, let me give you a model prayer here. It doesn't mean you pray these words exactly all the time. You can you know, do that, but here it is. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next part? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea, our Father and our King with a kingdom. And so he wants us to understand that. And here's why it's important. A lot of people reduce Christianity to one or the other. If you reduce Christianity to the fact that God is our father, which a lot of people go, that really means a lot to me that he adopted me. I love that relationship. Wow, I never knew that was possible. Nothing wrong with celebrating that. But if you don't also know the other side of the coin is he's our king, that means that along with the relationship, there's responsibility. This is true in any good relationship. There's relationship and responsibility. And so uh, how, how do I understand my responsibility to him as king as well as their father? See, Our father is the king, and the king is our father. And that's an amazing thing to understand. But Paul's going to be celebrating that here in these verses. And hopefully you'll see that as we look at it. Now, here's why I think we need this message today. Because we're going to talk about redemption, being redeemed. And I don't know about you, but I need someone to explain those words to me. I don't automatically understand them. They're not language I use all the time. When I was a little kid, the first time I ever heard redemption was when I was a little kid. This is going to date me a little bit. There were S&H Green Stamp Redemption Centers, okay? And that meant that my parents would give me these little stamps that local merchants would give you when you buy some of their products. And then you'd take a redemption book, a stamp book, and you'd do that. I I lost all my taste buds doing this, but I would stick those on. Then you'd take that redemption book and you would exchange it for something you wanted to buy at a redemption center. Now that's the first time I heard it, but that's, uh, it's it's some of the idea, but it's much richer than just S&H green stamps here, okay? So I want to talk to you about that, but here's why I think we need this message why do we need redemption why do we need to be redeemed i don't know what your life's like but even this week after almost 40 years of walking the lord <laughs> i saw myself do some things that i not only regretted afterwards but i thought i did that you know even before i came to christ what am i doing am i never learning anything and the guilt and the shame that come with that does anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever had a Sunday when you walk in this room and you go, I don't even know if I can sing. I don't even know if I can pray. I don't even know if I belong here because all these people are righteous and I'm like not. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, told a famous story. He, he actually pulled a practical joke. You know, the guy that wrote Sherlock Holmes. He, uh, in England there, he decided to pull a prank on his 12 friends, uh, 12 of his friends, and he sent them a telegram that just said these words. Flee at once all is discovered (laughs) and within 24 hours all 12 had left the country (laughs) and that just reminds me let me just say this my dad taught me this years ago jeff you'll learn this as a pastor and you'll learn it in your own life there's a certain kind of guilt and shame just below the surface of many people's lives and how how do you and i live with that what do we do with that stuff and the good news is this message talks about that. And it shows how once we walk around instead of with guilt and shame motivating and driving us, we can walk around with a different different identity. So I want to talk to you about that in just a moment. But let's pray first that God will help us. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes so that we can understand things that we wouldn't be able to understand that would be mysteries to us unless you made them known. But this is a mystery you have made known and you want us to understand it. And so I pray that you would use this idea of being redeemed in Christ to really come home to us so that we can walk through this next week and the weeks to come in a different way. For Jesus' sake and for his honor, amen. Okay. Let's read through this passage and then unpack it, okay? And I'll ask you to read verse 7, which is the first verse of these four out loud with me. It's in the first gray box. Would you read it with me? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That's a mouthful, but let me keep going. Verse 8, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity. That word also means to bring unity again or to reunite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So let's just talk about first redemption and then how he has a plan, okay? First of all, redemption. When you think of the word redeem, it comes from the Greek word, uh, apolutrosis and the idea is, is, it has the idea of ransom. So if you're following along in the notes, to redeem means to ransom, rescue, restore, and buy back. To ransom, rescue, restore, and buy back. Jesus used language like this. He says, for even the Son of Man, even I, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. Also, we see verses like Colossians there, which is a sister letter to Ephesians, by the way, has some of the same ideas said in just some different wording. But it says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so this idea of rescuing, redemption, redemption, Uh, ransom all those ideas you'll find in the scriptures like that and uh, to buy something back means that it used to be your possession but now it's been lost when I was uh, younger uh, I, I had a mentor that used to tell a story that was very helpful to me and let me just share it with you he says in a city on the shore of a great lake lived a small boy who loved the water and sailing some of you like that So deep was his fascination that he, with the help of his father, spent months making a beautiful model boat, which he began to sail at the water's edge. One day, a sudden gust of wind caught the tiny boat and carried it far out into the lake and out of sight. Distraught, the boy returned home inconsolable. Day after day, he would walk the shores in search of his treasure, but always in vain. Then one day as he was walking through the town, he saw his beautiful boat in a store window. He approached the proprietor and announced his ownership, only to be told that it was not his, for the owner had paid a local fisherman good money for the boat. If the boy wanted the boat, he would have to pay the price. And so the lad set himself to work doing anything and everything, until finally he returned to the store with the money. And at last, as he was walking out of the store, he said, holding his precious boat in his arms, with great joy, you are twice mine now. Once because I made you, and second because I bought you. God made us, and we were lost. And so he paid to buy us back. This is the incredible message of redemption. And notice if you're following along, here's some more. There's two parts or two sides to redemption. First, someone is in bondage and a payment is required. Someone is in bondage and a payment is required. These are the two sides to redemption. So uh, think about this. There's either captivity, enslavement, bondage. Someone's being held against their will or held. And uh, then there's a payment or an exchange or some kind of substitution that needs to take that person's place. So we're seeing this, a real rise in this again. Uh, you, You may be aware that some of the terrorist groups, what they're doing is not just burning buildings, they're not just killing people, they're actually seeing people as property. So they're selling some people as slaves and others they're holding for a ransom money And uh, I I was reading on some of this this last week, and it's astounding the numbers that they're throwing around. For one of the women that was just martyred a few weeks ago, they were asking $6 million for her head to free her. And of course, they didn't do that. Uh, The couple Japanese guys that were just martyred recently, $200 million. We're talking humongous sums of money. They realize that they have power because these people cannot free themselves And therefore, they need someone to pay the ransom money if they even have a hope of being set free. And uh, the Bible tells us a couple things that none of us like to hear. None of us want someone to tell us about ourselves. First, we're captives, and we cannot get free on our own. We need someone to buy us back. We need someone to pay for us or to substitute for us in exchange for us. And for people that are rugged individualists that are proud about, I can do anything, that's very hard to hear. Tim Keller said the message of the gospel is that we're more wicked than we ever dared believe, but we're more loved than we ever imagined we could be. It's both at the same time. There is this captivity. So you say, well, I'm not, in, I'm not in captive to anything. I'm not in bondage to anything. That's actually what some religious leaders said to Jesus one day. <clears throat> it's recorded in John chapter 8. Look at how Jesus replied in John eight forty three. He said, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Question, how many of us have sinned? All, the Bible says, have sinned. We have all gone our own way. We have all turned everyone to his own way and the Lord had to do something about it. So he laid the ransom price on his son, the iniquity, our iniquity on his son so that his son's ransom price could do something about that. And if you're following along, there it is. Sin puts us in bondage or sin put us in bondage and with his blood, Christ freed us. Sin put us all in bondage and with his blood, Christ freed us. This is the message, the good news, that God wants to declare in this chapter. He not only wants to adopt us, he wants to redeem us, and he wants to change our identity as we understand what he's done for us. Now, this is an amazing thing. Think about this. Some of us go, like, what's the whole thing about the blood stuff? I mean, where do we get this gory kind of version of Christianity? It's just messy and sticky, and I'm not even into that. And I know that there are whole segments of Christianity But this is repelling to them. And I just want to say, it's not something I run to easily. This is something that we have to understand the big picture of the Bible. If you read Hebrews 9.22, it explains both the Old and New Testament of what God's been doing since the beginning of history when people fell in sin in the garden. And look at this, Hebrews 9.22. It says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And then this last part, look at this and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You know, I don't know if you know this, but sin brings a debt. Whenever you and I sin, it creates a debt. Now, most of us don't think about this. If we're sinned against, we know all about this. Because, hey, they owe me for that. They took something from me. That's sin. Sin creates a debt. And because of that, The debt has to be paid. You can't just like wish it away. You can't just go, well, it doesn't matter because justice must be served. And so many of us do not appreciate what it took for God to redeem us and offer forgiveness. Most of us go, well, that's just easy for God. Actually, it was one of the greatest challenges God would ever face because God is not just loving. He is holy and righteous and pure and true. He is perfect. None of us are used to that. But therefore, on the cross, we see how he came up with the answer of how to deal both with his love and also his holiness. He laid on his son the entire debt of every human being that has ever lived or ever will live, all of it, on one Friday day. And when he did that, the Bible says that he could say that it was taken care of, the debt was addressed, but he also could hold out love to the people that had sinned against him and created the debt. That's an amazing thing. Now, years ago, uh, we were trying to explain how when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt from the bondage of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that what he did the night before he led them out and freed them from the captivity of Pharaoh, he said, I want you to do something that you'll never forget. I want you to take the blood of an innocent lamb, an innocent third party, someone who's done nothing wrong. And I want you to take the blood of that animal and I want you to spread it over the doorpost and the side post of your door. And tonight, when the death angel comes through your town, when I see the blood, I will pass over. That blood will be a payment on your behalf an exchange and a substitute for you. And I will accept the blood of that lamb on your behalf and I will pass over. And they walked out of Egypt free because of the blood of the Lamb. And they knew what it was like to be rescued and be restored to a relationship that they didn't necessarily deserve. And that is the message of the gospel. And so when you and I understand that, look at First Peter 1, 18 and 19, what it says here. This is so powerful. For it says, for you know, and I, I just wonder, maybe you don't know this, but he's writing to Christians, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It wasn't $6 million. It wasn't $200 million. It wasn't money. Let's read it together. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And again, you may be here and you may say, this is crazy. I'm I'm not in captivity. I don't need any of this stuff. And friends, if that's where you're at, then maybe God's going to open your eyes to see that this is where all of us are at, apart from what he's offered to do for us. And this is what he wants us to make known to us so it's not a mystery anymore. That's something that's confusing. And so, again, we think about what he's done. It's just an amazing thing. Let me go on and say this, that when he did that, when he did that, redemption offers total forgiveness, if you're following along. It offers total forgiveness not from, but according to his riches. It offers total forgiveness, not from, but according to his riches. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins did he pay for? Oh, I know the right answer too. I know it in my head. It just hasn't always changed my heart. But when that happens, then the way that we deal with life when we still do sin or the way that we think about sinning changes. His forgiveness is total. He was able to see everything you and I would ever do, and he still offered it to us. That means that when you and I walk through life and we sin once again or we fall once again, that God, his forgiveness, still avails. This is not something that should ever be treated lightly or just say, hey, let's yuck it up then. You know, the Bible says is that there's this, actually this question, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid, that's your attitude. Jude says, some have turned the grace of God into a license for immorality. They clearly have never really been saved. They don't understand what grace is about, but God's grace has offered us total forgiveness. Now notice, it's not just from the riches of his grace, it's according to his grace. Has anybody ever explained this to you? When I first heard this, it really helped me, and maybe it'll help you too if you've never heard it. John D. Rockefeller, the, one of the richest people our history has ever known, right? As a country, we still refer to the Rockefellers as rich people. I read his biography this last summer when I was on sabbatical, amazing story. And I read about how when he was uh, older in age, he would actually walk along the streets of New York City and he would hand out dimes to little kids. They loved it. A dime was a lot of money in those early 1900s. But as they ran away, were they going to say, now I'm just as rich as John D. Rockefeller? No, because he gave from his riches. But if he gave according to his riches, how would that be different? Well, then instead of a dime, he would have given them a mansion. If it was according to his riches, he would have given him one of his most prized paintings. If it was according to his riches, he would have pulled out hundreds and thousands of dollars, right? According to his riches, because he was able to do that. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says is that Jesus didn't just say to us with forgiveness, here you go, here's a little forgiveness for you. He said, here you go, according to my riches, total forgiveness. Let that sink in. Oh, my gosh. That's a lot. And when a person begins to live understanding that, it softens you on the inside in a way that nothing else can. And it changes something in your identity when you walk around rather than plagued by guilt and shame saying, I don't understand it completely, but the Bible says this is true about me. God did something I could never do myself, and he offered it as a gift. And some of you say, well, you know, how come How come some people never receive that gift? I used to think as a younger pastor that all you have to do is preach this message or share this message with someone, and everyone would immediately say, I want that but I've come to understand that even the book of Revelation says there will be people that until their dying breath will curse God and reject His gift all the way till the end. And therefore that gift never makes a difference in their life, even though God freely offered it. So reading a story about how in a southern state there was a man who lay condemned to die for having murdered another man. And the brother of the condemned murderer who himself was an upright man and who had helped the state uh, save many people's lives, went and pleaded the cause of his condemned brother with the authorities. And though the case was one of clear murder, though there was no question that this man had murdered this other guy, for the sake of the brother who had saved lives, they consented to pardon the brother who had taken life. So this brother went with the pardon of his condemned brother in his possession He did not tell his brother immediately, but presently in talking with him, he said to him, if you had your pardon, supposing you had it now, and you were to go out free, what would you do? And with a gleam of malice and hatred in his eye, the murderer said, I would find the principal witness, and I would kill him, and I would kill the judge. And that brother said nothing of the pardon, but leaving the cell, he tore it to pieces and destroyed it, and you know that he did right. This man wanted nothing of redemption. He wanted to continue living his own way. And friends, I pray that's not you. I urge you to consider the redeeming gift from God because it can forgive all your sins and it can change the way you live from this day on. And that's what he wants. And that leads to this next part is that not only does he give us Redemption and forgiveness through his blood, but also he gives wisdom and understanding to see. Now, some of your notes, half your notes say his, and half your notes say king's, because I didn't get it right. But gives wisdom and understanding to see the king's greater plan, okay? Remember way back what I talked to you about there, the Art Institute? If all I am is consumed with just God redeeming me, what have you done for me lately, Lord? What do you want to do in my life? Then I will miss his even greater plan. Do you know why he redeems you and me? He redeems you so that you can be part of redeeming other people's lives. He blesses you to bless others. He gives you, he saves you in order that you can serve with him. This restoring, this rebuilding, this redeeming work in the world. And does our world need redemption? The world's not the way it's supposed to be, is it, friends? But just imagine, and that's why, again, when you start to understand his even greater plan and you say, man, now he took the dot of my life and he touched it with color and he made me beautiful. He took my past that was lost and ruined and he made me redeemed. Now I can be part of this. And so when you think about that, but if you just stop there, it's worth celebrating that, isn't it? We need to do that every day. But we need to go further and say, and he didn't just color my life with redemption. Now he wants the color of my life to touch someone else's life. And as I touch someone else's life, it will redeem. And eventually the big picture, where God's going, according to verse 10, is he wants to bring everything under Christ again. The world was created to be ruled under the order and the sovereignty of Christ. The Bible says nothing was made that wasn't made through him, but that because of our rebellion and sin, we have all gone our own way, and therefore we're not rightly ordered with God. But when he redeems us, now he brings us back into that. If you read verse 10 with me there in the gray box, would you read that out loud with me in that second one? And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And some of us, we understand this, so when we get up in the mornings now, we go, I'm part of redemption. I know this world is ruined. I know this world's going backwards fast, but one of the reasons he touched my life is that so now, even a cup of cold water in his name can make a difference. And I want to be part of his redeeming plan I'm so thankful that part of his plan included me. I also want to be part of responding and serving him. So how does this change our identity? Let me move through these next things and bring it home. First, our identity, redeemed in Christ. Let me just ask you, if someone says, who are you? Could you say, after hearing this message, I don't fully understand it, I don't even deserve it, but by his grace, I'm redeemed in Christ. You know, I was thinking, if you just try this this week, if someone says, uh, hey, uh, my name's so-and-so, what's yours? You say, my name is Jeff, redeemed in Christ, Nelson. (laughs) If I actually believe that. (laughs) Instead of, I am Jeff, the royal screw-up Nelson, which I am apart from Christ, friends. Which I am apart from Christ. But in Christ, I am Jeff, redeemed in Christ, Nelson. Wow. I do not deserve to be teaching you the Bible based on my own merits, but based on the merits and the ransom price of Christ, I now have been given a new identity, and so have you if you've come to know him and received his gift. And so, first, notice that the redeemed in Christ refutes the lie that we're beyond God's forgiveness you walked in here and said, I'm beyond God's forgiveness. I can never forgive myself. I just want to ask you a question. Is your sin, is your failure, is your shame, is your guilt greater than the blood of Christ? Do you really believe that? Then you're believing a lie. But if you're willing to believe the truth, the truth is, no matter how shameful you are, how shame-filled you may be, The blood of Christ is greater than all your sin. It's greater than all your guilt. And he wants you to live under the truth of that every day, every day, and for all eternity. Wow. Second, redeemed in Christ frees us to serve God, the king, even bigger plan. It frees us to serve God the King's even bigger plan. I just told you what the bigger plan was. The bigger plan was to make us part of redemption. But most of us go, well, I'm not worthy to be part of that. That's for the extra credit Christians, the Navy SEALs Christians. I'm only like this guy. And friends, I just want to tell you, even a child that's been redeemed by Christ can get in on this. He wants us to know the joy. Have you ever had the chance to lift up somebody else? Have you ever had the chance to tell somebody, hey, I used to think I was beyond hope too, but there is hope for you in Christ Jesus? He has done something for you. Maybe you've never heard this before. After the last service, I had a couple come up to me. They said, Would you pray with us? They've served overseas several different times. And they said, We're feeling like God may be leading us to go back overseas. To bring a cup of cold water in his name. They said, We feel like there's drinking fountains all over the United States. But there's places in the world where no one's ever even been given a drink of Jesus Christ, and we want to take it to them. We want to be part of his redeeming plan if that's what he wants of us. Would you pray that we'll know if he's asking us to do that? Wow. I was thinking, I sit next to Corey Cumberworth almost every Sunday. This guy comes from being downstairs and helping those with special needs in our church. He loves children. And he teaches kids that God loves them. And that no matter how their life started, or no matter what handicap they may have, they matter to God. He's part of redemption. And you're one of the most grateful people I know, Corey. I'm so thankful for that. And you and I can live the same way. We can wake up and say, I know my past. I know, I mean, I mean but Lord, if you want to use me to be part of redemption, use me. Use the color of my dot to touch someone else by your grace. And next week, we're going to learn how he gives us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live greater lives than we could ever live because now his Holy Spirit can live and dwell in us. One last thing is how do we learn to be convinced? Let me bring this home. Let me just talk to you practically. If you're following along in the notes We learn to be convinced one day at a time by saying what God says we are in Christ. By saying what God says we are in Christ. How many of us have talked about ourselves and to ourselves for years in the most twisted of ways? And we have said, this is what I am, this is what I am, this is what I am. And it's totally contradictory what God says we are because of the grace of Christ. Then we need to start saying what God says. We need to confess, which is what that word means, to say the same. We need to say what God says. And the Bible says, Jenny mentioned at the beginning, Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord, what's the next part? Say so. Do you say so? If you're redeemed in Christ, do you, is there any day this last week or any day this coming week that you'd be willing to just say, hey, I'm redeemed in Christ. Go figure. Unbelievable amazing it's true say so revelation 12:11 look at verses 10 11 look what these say right here i love this it says and i heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our god and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our god we're going to learn more about this in chapter 6 you and i have an enemy he is a liar And one of the ways he tries to destroy us and cripple us is to tell us lies. God could never forgive you. You are beyond redemption. And the way you and I overcome him is by the blood of the lamb, the ransom price, and by the word of our testimony, which is, I am redeemed because he paid for me. And because we do not love our lives even unto death... And we see martyrs doing that in our country right now. They go, look, I don't want to die like this. This isn't my first choice. But if I'm called to die like this, may I live as a redeemed person who brings redemption to a terribly confused and falling world. And I'm so thankful for that. So say what God says. How do you do this? Well, one of the ways I do it is by singing. Some of you say, I'm not a good singer. That's okay. You may still like music. And I was thinking about how when I was in high school, I never even remembered this song until lately when I was working on this message. And when I was in high school, I had a friend named Buzzy Suki. How's that? His name was Ray, but everybody called him Buzzy. And Buzzy played the harmonica. And Buzzy was the first to say, I'm not a very smart person, but man, he loved Jesus. And Buzzy used to say to me, hey, Jeff, let me teach you this song and I'll play the harmonica and you can sing it. I said, okay. So here's what he taught me. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing amazing grace the whole day long. All because Christ paid a debt that I could never pay. And as I sang that song again and again and again, guess what my mind was thinking about? What God has done for me and for you in Christ. And it gets in your bloodstream. And there's other songs. My wife told me one that came to her mind from camp days. And maybe you've heard the word redeemed and never sang it with meaning. You can do that. But here's just a few things before we close. Believe Christ paid in full your ransom. Believe Christ paid in full your redemption, your ransom. Friends, let me ask you, how many sins did Jesus forgive on the cross? You know how we know that in part? John nineteen 30, I've listed out to the right. You can read it sometime. The choir sang about it. When Jesus was about to breathe his last, he cried out these words in English that we've translated in English. It is finished. Now, I don't know if you know, but the actual language he said in Aramaic was the word die. And there in the marketplaces, just outside there, just in the city, they would, when a bill was completely paid off, when it was paid in full, they would stamp die across that bill, saying, no more is owed. Friends, I don't care what the evil one says to you. You don't owe a single more for your sins. They have been paid in full in Christ. He cannot continue to torment you without you having a word to say back. And you and I need to remember that paid in full. It is finished. Thank you, Jesus. So let me just apply this. Let's just say you're about to pray this afternoon. And as soon as you pray, the first thought that comes through your mind is, remember what you did. You go, oh man. At that moment, what are you gonna do? At that moment, what you do is say, Lord, I know what I did. And I know that's true that I did that. And I'm not shirking responsibility, but here's what I want to say. I can approach you right now on the merits that Jesus has paid my ransom price, and even though I just did that, I'm still redeemed. I still belong to you. It has still been paid in full. Oh, let that tenderize my heart rather than make me proud. When you and I pray like that, we can pray, I come in the name of Christ. I come in the merits of Christ, not myself. Some of you say, what about communion? You know, when we get ready to take the bread and the cup, what are we doing? When Jesus says, remember me, what does he want us to remember? How bad we hurt him? No, he wants us to remember the ransom price has been paid in full. And I know you get spiritual amnesia, so I want you to take communion more than just once in your life. Because along the journey, I want to remind you, paid in full. Some of us deal with sexual temptation. What do you do? 1 Corinthians 6 says this. It says, God has bought you with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You don't have to keep living that way. You don't have to use people. You don't have to try and chase pleasure like that just for an end in itself. You can glorify God with your body. There's a lot more that I could say, but when you and I come up against something, when we do get off base, what do we do? We run back to the Redeemer and say, oh Lord, I still remember you redeemed me for a purpose. Cleanse me. Forgive my sin and help me get back into the direction of being part of your redeeming work in the world. So here's the closing question. Will I let God be both father and king in my life? Will I let God be both father and king in my life? Will I allow him to give me that relationship and will I allow him to show me how to use that responsibility to serve him for the rest of my life? You know, the Bible says is there's coming a day when we're gonna gather together those of us that have been redeemed in Christ And we're going to sing about the ransom price that's been paid on our behalf. We're never going to be able to get over it. And so we wanted to close not only by singing, but just taking a moment. Would you bow your head? How How does this message hit you? If you're here and you've never, ever received the gift of redemption, maybe that's what the Lord's saying to you today. Today's the day to humble yourself and receive what I've done for you because you cannot free yourself but the blood of my son can. Maybe you're here and you live a guilt-ridden, condemned life. Maybe the Lord's saying, let me show you how you can build hedges so you don't have to keep sinning. But also, let me show you how you can live free with your shoulders, no longer sagging. Let me show you how this can be true. Let me make it known to you.